I'm Jamie Lewis, a food and drink writer based in San Luis Obispo, California. And this is Consumed, a podcast about eaters, drinkers, makers, and thinkers across California and at its heart, the Central Coast. Thank you for listening. Consumed is sponsored by my friends at Slow Life Magazine. I remember when Slow Life first came out, it was a skinny but mighty magazine intent on sharing the stories of people who live, work, play, and give in San Luis Obispo. Today, the magazine is no longer skinny at all. It packs loads of interviews, information, inspiring stories, and my food column, which covers dining trends up and down the coast. Find Slow Life in your mailbox every other month by subscribing at slowlifemagazine.com. Listening to San Luis Obispo winemaker Mike Siner, it's impossible to believe anyone ever discouraged him from attending college because they thought he couldn't hack it. But people did discourage him, and multiple times. It's just these kinds of challenges that Mike thrives on. They've taken him not only through college, but through the world of wine, which was truly foreign to him as a kid working in his dad's auto-wrecking yard. He's brought his work ethic to bear on multiple wine brands, from Corbett Canyon back in the day, to Domaine Alfred, which is now Chamisol Vineyards, Byron Winery in the Santa Maria Valley, and Ancient Peaks Winery in Santa Margarita, where he's been for many years. Mike and his wife, Sherry, have also had their own wine label, Siner La Vallée, since the late 90s, and several years ago, they purchased a vineyard on the coast overlooking Avila Beach called Bassey Ranch. Mike and I talked about why he loves the Edna Valley so much, how he got his honeymoon in Burgundy on someone else's dime, and how, before he fell in love with wine, he wanted to be a shop teacher, one that kids would really connect with. Here's winemaker Mike Siner. Oh, and by the way, as Mike and I were recording, one of the kids in the neighborhood pulled up to the window to ask if my kids could come out and play. You can hear that here because, well, that's real life. Okay, here's Mike. Um, Mike, I've noticed this before with you. Texting with you, I don't want to make you self-conscious, but you're pretty formal on text. And I, <laughs> and I think I'm guessing that you do voice to text. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of that in, yeah. my, in my travels. Yeah. I do a lot of voice to text. Yeah, because you're in the car or the truck all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So because of that, and, and I'm trying to, a few years ago, I definitely really made a conscious effort not to text and drive, you know? Good for you, yeah. yeah. So but I do find that people, when they voice to text, it's often like... Lengthy. Or well, yeah, mine certainly are. But also just kind of on the formal side sometimes, because I think people are concentrating. They want to say it as efficiently as possible. But... You, oh, as a person in person, are the exact opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're a serious winemaker wow. and a master, but you are so just warm and boisterous and... <laughs> Too kind. And informal. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely keeping it, just living life. And I think texting, too, because my age, you know, like, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'll be at 50 next month. So it's Congrats. like... It, um, I certainly see that with teenagers. My son will be 20 next week. This week, oh, oh check gosh. that, and so um, yeah, the kid. I don't have that again. Yeah, I don't have the acronyms down. <laughs> I have to look them up sometimes. <laughs> that oh. PLS. Okay, please. Good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Your kids. I'm. We. I remember when we met. We met maybe. I don't know. Ten, eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. And your kids were the center of your life at the time. I'm sure they still are, but they were like school age and they were, you know, 
in the middle of science projects and you were <laughs> shuttling them around all the time. Well, how has that changed? It has, you know, uh, really it was Sherry is the one who was led that, that part of the life. I mean, I was there, I mean, I did the best I could and, and, um, definitely involved, I think more so than our parents were in our family, yeah. in our lives, you know? Um, and, but Sherry was a stay at home mom. And so that I really give it up to her, you know, yeah. our kids are both good, great humans. And that's really was her sole focus and, and goal. And, and every day was just being with them. And so, yeah, it has changed. And the kids are now, like I said, uh, 20 and, and 18. So they're, they're little adults themselves. And so yeah. it's been fun to watch that happen. And I remember that they, at least one of them played sports, right? Like did, every sport. Yeah. They both were pretty active, uh, kids, you know, I think around here in the central coast is pretty common. And, yeah. um, yeah, our son was pretty sports minded. Uh, our daughter is still is a dancer. She's now at 18 has kind of left competing behind mm-hmm. uh, and just now teaches. So she just took oh. her, her dance. Her, she got a couple of soloists and a, uh, a crew. You know, hip-hop is her focus. And so they were just in, right in near San Francisco this weekend in the competition. She took them up there and they um, did a competition. So yeah, they're both, they both that time period in a lot of sports. Yeah, you're so busy. When you meet people at a party, what do you say you do if they say, what do you do for a living? I'm um, in the wine business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty much it in the wine business and grow grapes, make wine. And, and you're in the field though. I mean, I think of you as a winemaker, but you're out in the field all the time. Aren't I you? do, you know, I'm, I'm a more of a trained winemaker, but I, but when I was younger learning from great winemakers is something very early. I, I noticed that the great winemakers are always in the field. Yeah. And an ironic personal story was I wanted to get out of agriculture mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in Visalia, California, and I saw a lot of ag. My father sold construction equipment. And uh, for a while, owned an auto dismantling yard, a junkyard. Mm-hmm. And having gone through that work, I just wanted an air-conditioned job. <laughs> I just you did want- not get that job. No, I did not. Yeah, it's funny how life, life takes you, but I went to Cal Poly to be a high school teacher. I wanted to teach shop class. Really? Yeah. You've, whenever we talk, I've interviewed you a couple times for stories. You always talk about your dad. Huge influence on you. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Just growing up, you know, in the Valley and just the work ethic, you know, yeah. was there. And, and I think that was a big part of it, you know. Mm. And sometimes no, no, what not to do, <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes is part of it. But yeah, no, it's certainly a big influence. And shop, teaching shop, what was it about that that attracted you? I just, I thought I could be a different teacher. I didn't get along with a lot of my teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, looking back on it now, I didn't give them a lot to like. And so I can understand their frustrations. Yeah. Um, but I was not a very good high school student. I wasn't at all a challenged, highly challenged from a classical learning perspective. Yeah. Something I learned while I was in college was that the different learning methods. And I think the generation before me didn't get that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm way out of those, those <laughs> so long ago now, but when you look at traditional public education, it's really, really built for a fourth grade girl. <laughs> and so, you know, wait, it, explain that. What do you mean? Well, you know, having a daughter, you know, uh, it's broad stroke generalization, but they love yeah. to follow directions. They love to yeah. please. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, I know I did. Do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so little boys don't often have that, yeah. especially when they got a lot of energy. Yeah. And maybe they read backwards. Yeah. Maybe they got all these challenges that now have labels. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's really not meant. It's that mode of communicating taking the test and then seeing how you done the test doesn't work. You yeah. know, that's why I loved Cal Poly, you know, learn by doing it was very physical and uh, very early. Anyway, so to your question about why to be a teacher was I barely graduated high school. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. barely got out uh, with grades. You know, enough to get me out barely. Yeah. D, D for done. <laughs> but to get into Cal Poly. Well, I did three years at a junior college to make that happen. Right on. I um, talk about that all the time with just there's that cookie cutter mentality of no, you will go to school directly out of um, high school. You will complete it in four years. Um, and me being a people pleaser, that's actually exactly what I did. But I wish yeah. I had looked more creatively at well, you know, what if I had saved God, thousands of dollars by going to community college, getting exactly what I needed, and then going on to, I mean, I would have been so much more focused, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's, our kids are both on that track, you know. Yeah. In fact, yeah, so, um, you know, doing some junior college work to see what they like or don't like, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, for me, that was a big deal. And then, but I really changed. I mean, I, I made some major lifestyle changes. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to go to college, and, and at that time, college was in, in the books. I was heavily recommended by several counselors, do not go to college. You can't handle it. Uh, it's not for you. You'll never get into Cal Poly, you know, all that stuff. Every time. That was big time. And I, and, but it was perfect for me. I was like, really? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> now you're talking my language, yeah, you know? Yeah. My problems with authority comes out pretty strong. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait. And, and, and so anyway, that fueled my fire. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to learn how to learn. I was never taught how to learn early on. Mm. And so I figured that out. And, you know, time and place, though, too. I don't know if I could get into Poly now, that's for sure. But yeah. three years at a JC, and they, they took me into Poly. I, I teach at Poly, and I don't know if I could get in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, this is, it's pretty stringent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that Cal Poly is such, it's a huge part of your life. When we talk, they think that that was a pretty pivotal time. But I always thought that you went into like crop science, um, something having to do with ag, but you really didn't. Never did, yeah. The only thing I took was with Michael Botwin, his uh, wine, you know, his extension stuff. So yes. um, I started working right when I moved to San Luis Obispo, I started working in the wine business just as a job to pay for school. Now, what was that job? Uh, Corbett Canyon Winery on Corbett Canyon Road. Were you just, do, were you in the cellar or were you out no, in the field? No, just pouring wine. Oh, okay. A friend of mine, I'd never had wine before I moved to San Luis Obispo in my life. We didn't come from wine or food and that lifestyle. We were a classic uh, San Joaquin Valley family here, you know, and so it was meat and potatoes and mm-hmm. Coors Light, you know. Yeah. And, um, but a friend of mine was working at Corbett Canyon and she said, hey, we need somebody to pour wine. And I'm like, uh, whoa, you <laughs> Okay, I mean, it just it, it made no sense to me. I didn't ever expose that twenty one years old. So yeah. I said, "Well, that sounds good." And so and there was hardly anything out there, right, in terms of pouring. Yeah, it was pretty quiet industry at that point. You yeah, know? I mean, Tally was was up and going, Corbett Canyon, then the Valley, Shamasol was still operating. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there, there wasn't too many out there. You know, that was going to Wolf. Yeah, I mean, you know, John. I mean, um, McGregor was farming, but yeah. So anyway, that was my first job. I just it literally was just money to pay for school. Like mm-hmm. I needed money for spending money and to help to help do it. So mm-hmm. but within a few months, I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. And then that's the the epiphany. We often sit around late night drinking a lot of wine with each other and mm-hmm. ask each other, "What's your epiphany wine or what happened?" And I, I definitely achieved that at that point. It was one of the earlier ones. Like, okay, this could be what I do the rest of my life. What was it about it? I just like the diversity of it, the uniqueness of it. Um, I, I, you know, I just captured my soul, man. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, it's, you can educate yourself and, 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 and learn from a classic learning, reading and, and studying, but then you get to apply it physically, mm-hmm. growing in something. 
uh, fermenting something and then presenting it at the end. And the agriculture that I dealt with early on that I was around and I wanted to get away from was the monoculture of agriculture. That was the packing houses and blue diamonds and the sun kists and stuff. And so there was no, at the time, there was no CSAs. There was no direct consumer work where I grew up. It was all huge ag. And, and just to suddenly be, see something where you could like be a shop person, build something and then present something mm. that was exciting to me. Mm-hmm. And another component I thought was interesting when I was very young and I hadn't, I guess I, I always say I was pretty dedicated to slow. I mean, I, this place is, this is my play. I mean, I just love mm-hmm. this County, this area, and, but I also saw from a, a practical perspective, one thing someone told me, or when you open a map of the world of wine and premium wines only grow in beautiful areas yeah, in the world. Right. The best places. They really are. I mean, the best meaning Just the light. nicest to look at uh, yeah. and the most comfortable temperatures. And, exactly. Yeah. I love my friends in Wisconsin. <laughs> I mm. do, you know. But yeah, it's a struggle to, to, to be in viticulture and winemaking there. They can do it. They do pull it off. Every state. I've heard every state in the union has... Ever- has growing vines. I heard that now too. Yeah. Hawaii. Like, I just can't. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's what got me in, and that's what, that's what I filled my fire. I first discovered it. it was Corby Canyon Winery, pouring yeah. wine in the taste room as a taste room attendant. That's so cool. Uh, what year would you say that was? It was 92, 91. Okay. I was definitely before 93, because 93 was my first hands on physical vintage. And was that with them? No, that was with Sausalito Canyon. Oh, really? Yeah. So okay. that was, so that first literally six months in the business for me. I, uh, and again, my, the people have read about her. I just, just, I like to work and I've really been on the hustle of doing it myself. And, um, so I realized, Hey, this is something I could be good at. I had a skill set that they're looking for too. Mm-hmm. First they needed labor. You know, they're yeah. these, you know, you look at the Sausalito Claiborne, these guys, they were small businesses that it was expensive to afford a vault temporary yeah. agency. I'd rather just have a kid come in and pay him five fifty an hour, you know? Right. And that's where I was at. Um, but I came with some mechanical means and some physicality to me. Yeah. And that, it, I knew that was a resource that they could use. Wow, this guy can build yeah. this. He can. I think of you as somebody who just works really, really, really hard. Yeah. I, yeah. And that's, so, you know, that, that time period. So I went from that first job at Corbett, kept that because I was just a weekend warrior. Yeah. And, and I love. It's probably fun too. It's, it was. I mean, you pour wine and tell stories. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. built for that. I'm a storyteller by, by blood. You know, yeah. my, my father was a storyteller and, uh, for better or for worse, my 20-year-old is a storyteller, which uh-huh. is, <laughs> he needs to live life a little more before he starts telling stories. But, um, you know, and so, you know, that was, but I wanted to really get into it. So I ended up, some people I called on the phone, cold called. Mm-hmm. I was introduced, uh, well, Sean Weir, Mooncatcher yes. Communications. Yes. So he was a buddy of mine and he was working at Shamasol for the Goss family mm-hmm. for that winery. And, um, and so he introduced me to uh, Clay Thompson and, and Bill Greeno and worked for those guys, Kathy McGregor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. So in six different wineries I worked for going through Cal Poly wow. as a part-time kid, just on call. But, uh, but you're, you're woven into the fabric of the Edna Valley. It sounds like I did. Yeah. Just because of time and place and exposure yeah. I was. And, and, um, yeah, I really do. I feel honored to be that in certain part of my life, a lot of those families raised me. Uh, yeah. I babysit the Greeno kids. <laughs> I babysit Elizabeth. You know, we house sat for them. Uh, John Clark at Corby Ken house sat for him. And so, yeah, it, it, for me, it just wasn't, it's never been an occupation. It's just, mm-hmm. it's more of a lifestyle. And it's this way, what I, uh, we've always pursued. I remember uh, talking to, maybe it was you or maybe it was James Onaveros. I can't remember about, 
planting his vineyard. I know your hands were on that. A little bit, yeah. We, we, we was just, you know, James uh, were buddies and about the same age. And, uh, and yeah, so he, he was, hey, parents have this vineyard or this land, you know, and I went over there. I was like, wow, this is pretty special. It was very obvious from a terrible mm-hmm. art perspective that it was a pretty inspiring spot and, mm-hmm. and all the soils were just right. So I happened to be at Byron at that time working for Art Mondavi. And so, uh, you know, again, we're just 20 year olds going, eh, let's go get some cuttings on Saturday. Which is nuts. And you I mean, thinking <laughs> about it now, it's crazy. It, yeah, but it's just, you know, he has that same thing. And we just get, just get her done, you know. And so uh, we went and got cuttings. You know, I, we hired a couple of cellar guys from Byron. And we physically took cuttings from the Byron Vineyard and, and mm-hmm. put them into the field and hmm. planted a vineyard. You know, or, again, he led it. He, he's a viticulturist by trade. Right. You know, uh, and so, yeah, that was a fun. And, and it's, you know, again, it just it is beautiful to sit here today on a awesome uh, interview to think about those time period, but yeah. it was cool. Yeah. And I think about you guys also as being, I don't know if I'd call it like the second wave, but around here, I think of clay and, um, the greenos. I think of that as like first wave, the Nivens yeah, folks sure. who are like, we're going to try this here and, you know, have everything to lose and not to say that you don't also, but paving, paving the way. Mm-hmm. And then I think of you guys, you know, James, you, Sean, all those folks as being, you know, starting to build more into that, um, into the winemaking culture. Yeah, it was. It, it's looking back at it now with my old age. <laughs> but, mm, hardly. Uh, looking back at it, it, we're a generation that was really small in population. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the people that I, you know, worked for Ken Brown and Byron, he graduated Fresno in 77. You know, I've mm-hmm. studied uh, Andre Chelichev, Steve Kissler. You know, um, Dick Graft, uh, mm. that that era of uh, Steve Dooley, you yeah. know, and so yeah. now that era of, of aged per, person, that aged, were already into it. They they were the founding These pioneers, are big names, These yeah, are big, you know, and so. But then our period, I, I would say, really, and again, it mimics the industry. I think from my studies that. It was kind of exciting in the 80s and then 90s. There were some housing issues in California. There were some uh, bubbles and stuff that were going on, some tech, tech issues. Mm-hmm. And nobody got in, very few people got into the wine business mm-hmm. at that time period. Okay, there was nothing at Cal Poly other than Phil Dobb had his wines and fer- fermented foods class. One class yeah. on campus that was actually in the curriculum. It was called, I think it was called Wines and Fermented Foods over in, mm-hmm. I forget which department. I heard about it. I never took it. Yeah. And Michael Botwin teaching the extension classes. So And that's it. That was it. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of entry into the business for for I don't know, is it eight years or I don't know what that time period is. Then uh and again, that was when the French paradox occurred in sixty mm-hmm. minutes. And so that's the next day our industry saw a big shot in the arm and we kind of just got in there and then it started to kind of go up. Well, it took some cycles for these young people to discover it. You know, um most of the generation, the old I'd say old school generation Unlike Steve Dooley is one that comes to mind. He started quite young, mm-hmm. but all these other guys were second career people. Right. Yes. And so, you know, then, then after our, when we got into the business, fast forward eight, 10 years, then colleges started picking it up. Mm-hmm. And now there's just, it's a career now. It's a, it's an option. It is. It, I yeah. remember he- saying and hearing, oh, wait a minute, you can do wine for a living. Like yeah. it, it doesn't occur to people. Even someone my age. Cause I always thought yeah. of it as like much older people 
in another country. Without a doubt, exactly. And it's just something that it, you really couldn't do a career of it. So anyway, so we are, when you look at, I call us midlifers, which mm-hmm. it really is. I'm 50, hopefully, well, I'm past uh, midlife. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I thought it, you were going to say, hopefully I'll turn 50. No, of course you'll no, turn I'll, 50. I'll, I hope I'll get to 50, but 100 is <laughs> not in the cards for me, that's for sure. I've had, no. a, I've had too good of a time. <laughs> I'm here for good time, not a long time, that's for sure. Oh, that's um, so, um, but anyway, yeah, that generation, I think of Alan Tavares, myself, Greg Brewer is the same, almost same age, yes. and so he got in, we were, but then after that, then came a lot more people, and, and yeah. it really has become an industry, and as we sit here today in 2020, it's, it's amazing business, and, and it's, it's mm. a real business now. Such it's, a powerhouse. Yeah, it's amazing how, it, how it's, I was just, you know, I still, I was just at the gym, and I watched a, uh, a national Ford commercial, you know, and they were just selling Ford trucks. But it got through a barrel in the back of his truck. Isn't that what? You know, yeah, that, that did not happen ten years ago. Yeah. There's a global consciousness now, and which is interesting. And there is this new hybrid of new world with a Ford truck and a barrel in the back, and no one thinks twice about it. There's this ag. It's almost like the blend of cowboy ag frontier living culture with that old world, um, you know, um, yeah, just an amazing combination of those two things that is so not logical. Yeah, it, 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 um, it, it just is, but it's just different than what we've seen, which yeah. is fine. One thing constant oh, has great. changed. And so, yeah, it, I love seeing it out there. Uh, sitcoms, you know, I think of, uh, you know, growing up in the 90s through college with friends, Mm-hmm. And now uh, Courtney Cox, I think is her name. Yeah. 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 So she had a, a, a Does show. she make wine? No, but she drank wine. This one glass. There's a, there's a show she was on. I forget what it was called. Cougar Town, maybe. Oh, yeah. Right. She had this one glass of wine. Anyway, wine is now in every sitcom. Yeah. And it, and it's it's part of, it's almost a plot line to some of these things now. There's just a consciousness mm-hmm. that we did, had never seen before that, that really has brought to the forefront of of the world, which is interesting. You were so much earlier, I think, than a lot of people in terms of uh, having a respect for the old world and and believing that you could bring it home. I know that you and Sherry, um, your wife Sherry, got married in Burgundy, which, I mean, in the <laughs> 90s. Yeah. I don't think that was everybody doing that. No, it, it, it was our own style. You know, we, we, yeah. we, and again, it, it, we didn't have, it wasn't this thing to sit back and let's do this. It was like, hey, I got a free trip to Mondavi. I'm going to Mondavi to Burgundy to France. Oh, is so. that why? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a free trip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, like that's literally was the impetus for it. It was like, well, do we want to get out of our parents together? Eh, some of them don't like each other. Let's just go do our own thing. Oh, you skipped the wedding all together? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And came home and three receptions. Yeah. So our style was to, you know, we're hustling. We need free gifts, man. <laughs> like, my parents say that, that, well, my mom says the reason we got married is we heard that we got presents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so did it. we still have these old Libby glasses. It says newlyweds on tour, Mike and Sherry, and it has, you know, May 1st to Burgundy. But then we came back and had three receptions, one in my hometown of Visalia for my mom to throw us a party, nice. one in my wife's hometown, Sacramento, Elk Grove mm-hmm. for her her throw a party and then the last one was at Claiborne and Churchill because we were living there we were oh. living on site there and uh, so we had we threw a wine industry our friends party for us so those are three distinctive dates and three receptions we and had. three very different parties I'm very, guessing as you can imagine exactly <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah that was the, what we did and, and again we look back at it and it is it's kind of that head shaking as you were saying earlier what were we thinking you know she was 24 I was 26 well we were 24 
Yeah. We were 24. And, you know, I don't know. It's funny. You look back and you think, was this always going to make it? You know, was it always <laughs> destined to make it or have we worked really hard? And I think it's a combination of the two. But I, I had friends at our wedding day who said, you know, this sounds kind of doom and gloom, but you guys are going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the beauty of having a big open window. Somebody just came up to ask oh. if our kids could play. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is so awesome. Like it's it. awesome. And then sometimes it's like, no, we're eating dinner right here. Oh, now. that's classic. <laughs> so the kids have the day off today. Totally. Yeah, but being young and getting married, I mean, we were engaged for four months. Oh, yeah. Getting, yeah. For a year, over a year and a half or so for us. Yeah. It's a good thing, though. Yeah, know? it is. Yeah. I mean, again, it's that old sort of just focus on it. And yeah, it, it is amazing to think back of it now, especially because, again, life now is we're living life through the eyes of our children. Yes. Totally. And so I'm like, don't get married at 24. I know, because I'm looking <laughs> at your, That's like right around the corner for you. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, there's, they have friends married and with kids. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's, uh, which is like, yeah, my wife and I are like, look, spend a little more time, and, and I think it's a, uh, get a little, yeah. I, I mean, again, you know, grass is always greener. But, yeah, uh, right. Lawn is always watering the lawn is the key. And they, <laughs> and they have their own sensibility in their own life. That's been very hard for me to just, like, you're not an extension of me. You're not my pinky finger. I can't control you. But the line between control and parenting is so blurry. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. You know, luckily, again, that's where my wife's been great about it. And, and if I if I err, I err to the old world style too much, mm. you know, and it's like, hey, man. You mean like authoritarian? Yeah, just yeah. like, you, you, you know, we're not allowed to have opinions. <laughs> no, I, I err no, on there, that. There is, yeah, there's no opinion. You do. You do. And, you, yeah. and, and, and so, and again, that's not right. I wasn't. And did I make it out? Yeah, I did. But not everybody. You know, yeah. not everybody under those circumstances uh, have have gone on to to you know be good about it, life. So anyway, my wife's been really good about. Hey, man, what about this? What about that? They, they are different. So yeah, what a yeah. challenging experience. Huh? I think that's really the, the apex of life is <laughs> raising I think those kids. It can either harden you so hard. Or it can soften you. And I really hope in my case that I'm softening and not like clenching down and becoming crotchety. Yeah. Yeah. My actually, my son just, he's getting into email. He emailed me this morning saying, you're the best mom ever. And I thought, oh, thank God I'm doing something right. Oh, that's great. What ages are they now? Yeah. Corbin is almost 10 and my daughter is seven and a half. There you go. It that's is exciting. the best. It's a good age. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So how did you meet Sherry? Uh, we had chemistry. Is this is always the cute, you know, we had chemistry 121 when this is Lowell. Oh, I Poly. thought you meant you had chemistry. I know, that's kind of it. I mean, all these <laughs> oh, little stories. Oh, that's the cutest thing. It is. And we have all this stuff and we just laugh now. We're like, we didn't plan any of this stuff. But yeah, so we had chemistry 121 at Cal Poly together and we had lab together and we just started talking and, mm-hmm. you know, the same old fall in love and let's, yeah. let's um, be together and, and that's it. So yeah, I met up at Cal Poly and... And she's had a wine, I mean, she's she, lived a wine life also. For sure. It's an interesting, so again, I was working for all those places going through school and she was still in school working for an appraiser. She studied ag business hmm. at Cal mm-hmm. Poly with a minor in, in appraisal. Mm-hmm. So she worked in town for an appraiser. But then when we both finished in 1994 and uh, at that, that was right when I got the job at Byron in Santa Maria. Mm-hmm. And so I left the Edna for my full, first full-time engagement I was going to say, was that like your first big job? It really was. Yeah, yeah. that's a first out-of-school job. And then, but 
we never worked at the same time. At, at, during that time period, again, you, our social group was nothing but wine people. Yeah. And so she took over as the tasting room manager at Corbett Canyon. Oh, really? So I was just there as a kid just having fun. And there's some great stories, you know, the old crew and, you know, it, no cell phones, you know, no... Yeah. I mean, it's good, fun weekend time. They let, they let this uh, inmates rule the asylum. Do you do you mention no cell phones because like no one was taking pictures? Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's a time and place. I mean, you know the things that occurred. Yeah, you're just like because yeah. they occurred and then you went on and told maybe told a story about it. Yeah, and then that's a different lifestyle yeah. than, than. And so yeah, no, I I was there's some great old stories of of us a crew of us at, at Corbett Canyon. You know, some of these are good friends of mine still. Some of them are in the wine business. Some of them are not, but. Mm. We're having fun in a part-time job, but then she had to step in as a manager of those people, and so that, you know, was was uh, you know that was a little different deal. So yeah, her first job was managing uh, Corbett Canyon Tasting Room. Yeah. There, so and she went on to do. Um, she was with Vintners and Growers, I think. Right? She did exactly. So that was so she did. That was at ninety four to about ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ninety eight. Um, then she moved into Julie Guffey's old job. Julie Guffey uh, as a friend. She doesn't live here, but she was a. Cal Poly girl, I'm pretty sure, and mm-hmm. she worked at Corbett Canyon. So she would in her position as the executive director of the Central Coast Wine Grower Association, right. a part-time job just answering to a board of directors. Yeah. So yeah, she did that until about 2000 or so, 2001. Yeah. When the kids, uh, Tomas was born in 2000. Okay. That, that period of time, I guess, when she was uh, at Corbett Canyon, it must have been right around the time. I mean, Corbett Canyon was huge. It was huge. I don't think maybe newcomers realize how big of a company it was for that time. I was, I knew that it was huge because I was sitting in my dorm room doing homework and listening to the Yankee game on the radio, um, in New York and an ad for Corbett Canyon came on and I just about lost my mind because I was (laughs) from here Yeah, and hearing an ad for a wine company in my hometown was nuts. Yeah. They, they were, they bought that in 1983 from Glenmore Distilleries, and, and they it was the wine group who t- even today is the top three volume producer of wine in the country yeah. slash the world. And so, yeah, that was their premium brand, and uh, and it wasn't it was big, but again, everything's a perspective now. But they were they were a, a national sort of a small national company. I guess I'm just but, thinking but then, in terms of messaging, the fact that it got to my ears out there. Well, but the, you're speaking probably to the Canyon, Canyon, Canyon. Exactly. Okay, so from yes. that one advertising, they quadrupled the size of the company based on the marketing. It was that company, I watched it go through like, you know, being a, again, I should get these numbers down, but I watched them make the wines there. I was yeah. paying attention to what was going on. Um, but then once that hit, then it became way beyond what they could do here. It no longer was made here. But there was a time period where all those wines were made in that building. And those wines, yeah. and John Clark, who's still here today, is a good friend, and he's one of the best winemakers that no, that he's, mm-hmm. but he's not in the magazines, right? He's not yeah. out there. But he, he is, a, uh, I think his undergraduate's in genetics and the master's in, in enology. Mm-hmm. And he can take really rough grapes and make decent wine, which is the hardest winemaking there is. Right. He's a very accomplished winemaker. He made some good wines, but then it mm. didn't. Once that marketing happened, that was really the, I was already gone. That was late 90s, uh, mid 90s, when it blew up to a stratosphere of Corbett Canyon. And with that, that in particular, that, that is good, one, a good ad. It's like a where's the beef. I mean, it really yes. is that. I've seen it, I've heard about it being in textbooks now about campaign. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, you think about how hard people strive right now to cut through the noise in marketing, and that worked. 
I mean, for it to quadruple production or for uh, sales. And is, more, yeah. It was just, yeah. It, it's funny. In Canyon and Corbett, it was a, John Corbett was a blacksmith out the end of the valley. It has nothing oh, to do really? with, with uh, the canyon there or nothing. It was an old family name, you know? Yeah. People would always come in and say, is this Corbet Canyon? No, <laughs> Try it. Yeah, we, we, yeah, it's always <laughs> French, right? I mean, again, I think we've grown past it a little bit, but the assumption was always, oh, it must be French. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, so you ended up from Byron. Did you go up to Ancient Peaks from there? No. Uh, I oh, had, no, you were at Shamasol. Yeah, the old Domain Alford project. Yes, and Night, one of my favorite models ever. <laughs> that was I'm trying fun. to remember which year it was, but it was phenomenal. That was an amazing experience, yeah. that was. I was so fortunate. Again, another first for me being a, a fully employed winemaker. Yeah. You know, I had making my own wines, but that's not real business in my mm-hmm. opinion it's not an employed winemaker a professional anybody with a bucket and a trust fund can make a, make wine and be a winemaker but to have somebody hire you for your ability to create wine and so I, that was a I was a head winemaker you know mm-hmm. and it, and your first time being head winemaker yeah yeah that was exciting for me very just a very exciting time to yeah. to get to uh, go from corporate life and a great training program gosh I guess again took went to Europe several times with Robert Mondavi company and uh, got to be with, around, and learn from some of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And then to come back to the Edna, which has always been my thing. I love Edna. I love Slow. Yeah. It's just to take on a new project. And the owner, Terry Spicer, is a great guy. A lot of energy, marketing master. Yeah. And But he needed someone technical. Mm. When you, I'm thinking about when you traveled so much, that had to have helped you taste other things, taste outside of California. Without a doubt. And that, again, that's part of the Tim Mondavi, Ken Brown school that I came through. Uh, was There was a lot of tasting going on. Mm-hmm. That was, and that was something that was a little bit unique at that point. The people I had been around, and not everybody had that mentality, you know, yeah. where God taste, we got to taste, you know, and mm-hmm. put a priority, high priority at it. And yeah, no, it was amazing. Yeah. Great Think, time. Period. Thinking about Mondavi, I mean, did you ever get offers to leave the area? Yes. Several. And why did you not go? I wasn't going anywhere. I, I just, by this point, even before I even fully got out of Cal Poly, I knew I wanted to stay here. This is my jam. I mean, this yeah. is just, I just knew I had to stay here. And I turned down several. Probably off, good, well-paying jobs. Doubling. Yeah. I could have doubled my, my pay rate easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I just, we had a sense of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And there was no rush. That's something I try to communicate to young, to my, sorry, to my kids, but when you love, when you find what you want to do, that your passion, then you you find yourself not being in a rush. Mm. Generally, mm. you know, when it's your thing, you know, time it will happen. But I want to, I wanted to learn all the small details of things, and so mm. there wasn't a rush to get to the next job. You know, it's like I'll get there, but I really want to get all this figured out down here. That's extremely counterintuitive. It is, but it's also based on my insecurities too. <laughs> so, well, you know, how so? Because I've always been insecure about my ability to learn and my ability to mm. pick things up, you know, mm. and, you know, you're not smart, you don't have good grades, you know, that's all I dealt with. And so I was okay with just taking my time and learning how to do it correctly, learning. Mm. And so, yeah, I see that as I've gotten older in the career, um, a lot of people, I can... I know of five still good friends of mine, you know, some of them are even, aren't even in the wine business anymore. Several are not even in the wine business where they just took it too quick. They had an opportunity because sometimes in life things open up, mm. you know, the three people in ahead of you in a food chain of a winery get, get t- head hunted out. And you've seen this where it's very often the head winemaker goes, well, often they purge or they uh, call it. Yeah. They, they 
pillage, you know, <laughs> someone to go with them, you know? Yes, right. You've been my right-hand girl for, yeah. for 10 years. Let's come over it's to my this. team. Yes, my team, exactly. So I've seen friends of mine take those too quick in their career and just have some failures. It just wasn't, mm. didn't help them build success. And so I, I had no problem taking my time and not wanting to, so... You know, that's that's a such a good word actually for today for me. I don't know. It feels so often, especially I don't want to. You know, time's kind of ticking. Well, time is always ticking, and <laughs> I'm not elderly, but I the, the window is always getting smaller. And I think about you know if you want to complete something, you got to go 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 now. There's so much talk about hashtag hustle, and I'm so over that. I mean, I know I know we've both hustled in our yeah, lives, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, taking it slow um, and letting things open up. There's a really kind of Zen mentality to that, where if it's right, it's going to come to you. Yeah, exactly. and it's not going to come like a skillet to your forehead. It's going to come maybe slowly, and you're going to see the thread little by little. Yeah, exactly, and. Yeah, it does, but it takes maturity. I mean, I guess I had some of that early on, but it's more, I didn't have those, it wasn't the forefront of my mind when I was making those decisions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't philosophical of that nature at all. It was just more of, hey, this is how I want to do it. And yeah. Instinctually, just how I wanted to do it, you know? Yeah. There's also something too, I forget who I got it from, but it's just love the process. Mm-hmm. When you love the process, you already win. Yeah, you know that's and true. You already win. And so very often, oh, I built this house, the house is done. Okay, well, did you love hammering those nails in? and cutting that in the glass. Because if you love the process, then, then you don't have to wait for the outcome and you don't have to be either, you know, you just love the, the day-to-day of it. And that's, that's something in the wine business, back to your earlier question, the diversity. Mm-hmm. This morning we were out at Chava, we were, you know, get the cruise. We just started pruning Bassey this morning. Mm-hmm. Right? So cruise at 6.30 and we got 10 people up and going, made sure they're comfortable with what they're doing and how we were asking them to get the work done correctly. Mm-hmm. And then went to the tasting room, kind of, kind of cashed the tasting room and then uh, checked in with Ancient Peaks already once mm-hmm. today. And so, yeah, the diversity. Yeah, I yeah. love the diversity and just love the process. That's the main thing. Yeah, I love that too. I like having lots of different things going at the same time. It can yeah. make me nuts, but it's, <laughs> but it's good, and I do love that process. Tell me about Bassi, how you wound up getting that. So it really comes from ancient peaks, you know, back to the kind of the structure we're at. Went to, went to Domain Alfred, and that was a great experience. Uh, one owner, you know, very entrepreneur, uh, great run. It was a startup company. He bought the old Chamisol project from the Goss family, mm-hmm. started in 72, and then ripped out the vineyard, replanted it in 96. First vintage was... Uh, 98, so 95 rip out actually. And then I believe the first vintage, I know the first vintage was 98. I got there in late 99, pretty much 2000. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, that was, and I already had my little signer La Valley, the side hustle, you know, the side. You, you did already have that? Yeah, we started that in 97. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that, I didn't realize. And that's, again, I, I've just been really bad about, well, it's just, it's not that I've been bad. It's just it's how life has been. I, I, I never wanted to talk about it. So I was making wines and just selling them Whoever had cash, <laughs> you know, and yeah, so right. Kept my overhead real low out of the back of your truck. Uh, sleeping, in, sleeping in the vehicle and, sh- and selling it. I mean, how many times yeah. was I at the KCBX in, in Avila, you know? Poor, and then, but but people, you know, and, and then he met me in my car. And when we first when you mean the, during the big event? Yeah, <laughs> after the event, they'd come to my car. I'm hustling one for cash, <laughs> man. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, and the, and the camaraderie too. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd get in my car, drive to L.A. I remember. Um, a winemaker friend of mine says, go see my friend over here. Okay, well, he's a solemn at this. So I'd meet him and, you know, oh, and he just realized, you're like, you, you're making these wines. I said, yeah. And that mm-hmm. was unique. And again, back to Ontiveros in that time period, we were, when creating two and four barrels of wine, that was very unique. Mm-hmm. So you just, 
put in your car and sell it as you went, you know? And, and um, so anyway, so, it, but I never, ever uh, disrespected my ownership because I have to have support. You know, mm. my wife and I bought our own house from scratch, yeah. zero savings, zero money came down from anybody else. So we saved for our down payment. And so we're all in it at that level. And so I knew, and I know what this business takes and I was never going to have my own company and, and, I needed to be with somebody. So it yeah. was Byron training, Domain Alfred really accomplishing more vineyard work and, mm-hmm. and focusing. And then Ancient Peaks is really, that we started that company in 2006. Yeah. So they were never in the wine business. So I, I came with those guys. And again, I left my day job and went self-employed in 06. And so mm-hmm. that was a big you know, time in, in life. It's a very intense. Huge. It's a huge move. Uh, it was big. And, and so anyway, um, Got with those guys, the three families, and we started a company called Ancient Peaks. And yeah. my gosh, that's been exciting. And well, uh, and what a great vineyard! I mean, that area, you guys have really built that, and that is such fine stuff. It really, it's and it's again, we could like, we obviously love to promote it every day, but it's the the results are what people say about it, you know. And, and it's mm-hmm. amazing. We're in 40, 46 states now. We're selling wine. Oh wow! We just got ninety three points from Wine Spirits for uh, our Chardonnay. Oh, wow. It's $18 a bottle. You know I mean? So this company goes from this startup with, with three entrepreneurs, and I'm, I'm excited learning business with these guys. Now I'm at that yeah. point where I do want to get some for my family. Well, it's been so successful. I needed to invest in myself, invest in yeah. my long-term family, and that's why we bought Bassey Ranch in 2013 mm-hmm. where it, with the help of Ancient Peaks, their partners. And so oh, that's they helped wonderful. us buy that ranch. So that so I'm thinking about the you know Santa Margarita. I wouldn't say it's totally untested at the time, but it was halfway untested, right? No, it was untested. Period. Okay. No, and no. Then, Robert Mondavi planted that vineyard. Oh, I really? Yes. It's, these stories get so intertwined. So yeah. So with Rod- the Malbec and with the really. Yeah. So Robert Mondavi had an employee here named Robert Levine and Neil Roberts mm-hmm. Clavo. Yeah. Right. Paso, and so he they at the time period I happened to be with the company at the time, Robert Mondavi, and they were on acquisition mode to acquire vineyards. They wanted to own more, be more vertically integrated in business. Yeah, yeah. So they went all over California and, and Robert Levine and Neil Roberts said, guys, we got to look at this, this piece of land. It never had any commercial vineyard. There's some, Junipero Sura put a vineyard there. So, okay, yeah. Okay. It goes yeah. back. <laughs> all right. We'll give you that. We'll count that guy. Thanks for the mission grade. <laughs> um, but, you know, there was no commercial work there because the ranch itself is, you know, 14,000 acres. So there wasn't, mm. And it was a, a marginal site to grow grapes. It's so yeah. cold. So it is marginal. It is marginal. And so we've really lived and learned that. So it was pioneered by Mondavi. Mm-hmm. Mondavi left the business of wine, sold their company. Mm-hmm. And that's where the three families, Rossi, Filipponi, and Wittstrom, acquired the lease back. Yeah. And, and that was uh, in August of 2005. And uh, I fermented some grapes from that at Domain Alfred. and. Mm-hmm left within a year to go help these guys start a company. What's it like to have more than one boss? What's it like to have three bosses? It's great because I call them the triad of power. Mm. You know, and so... And they work well together. They anyway. work really... They, they have their strengths or divergent from each other. Mm. And at first, I was kind of the cog in the middle uh, for, for everything in the wine business, period. And by design, I've managed me out of that. Mm-hmm. And so I focus on, on wine, you know, grapes now. And Amanda Whitstrom Higgins is really, yeah. uh, Carl Zara Amanda is now in that. She's the vice president of operations. And so yeah. she's, she's really. She's a dynamo. She really <laughs> is. And so she uh, is really the, in the middle, you know, and the guys are still very hands-on. And so, but 
that's the tri- that's the four people that really guys people I answer to and and we work together on it and so she, anyway that's it it works it works great yeah and you've been together a long time we we were just at a wine club event yesterday I was pouring wine at and and uh, we were yeah talking to everybody it's like yeah 14 15 years I've been doing which this. doesn't it seems like that doesn't quite happen <laughs> often anymore it's like three years here five years there for a lot of people anyway without a doubt and that was something we talked about early on and they have had my back I mean it's it's amazing um, yeah they, they, it's just a great company Stuart Cameron's the winemaker you know and so he was my assistant winemaker but one of the very proud things at ancient peaks is we gave him the title and the money yeah because you know and that's that's a small detail if we've done well it's because of that because we're not going to sit here and go well Mike's the old guy and he he can tell a story and do this or that you know he's got can play that part pretty well but uh, you know let's make sure we respect the people and I'm confident you know we want to bring him and keep him on too. So he's doing a great job with the crew up there. So you have a marginal vineyard in Santa Margarita that you help pioneer. And then you have this other marginal vineyard (laughs) uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, coastal, the closest thing to the ocean. I think anywhere up and down the coast. Is that right? No, Derbyshire is closer. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. They're like 0.8 or 0.6. Right. Yeah. We're 1.2 miles as the crow flies. We're pretty close. Um, and, and yeah, but it, but it's an interesting spot. It is. It's, it's, um, we get our work done that we need to get done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, obviously global weather change <laughs> has changed things a lot, but it's all South facing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've heard, I'm sure you've heard the Chumash story that there's a, the Indians in that little area had, had a, a name for not Avila, not South Higuera, but in between Avila beach and South Higuera, it's called hole in the sky. Have you heard Hole in the Sky? Well, only for the drug paraphernalia shop in Grover Beach. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. But that was named. <laughs> together. You think I know Hole in the Sky? Yeah. That so was the... named after that area then. I don't know. That's I didn't even think about it Hole in the Sky. Be. But anyway. Is it Hole in the Sky? I don't know what it's called. How funny. Yeah. Anyway, but Hole in the Sky was a Chumash term for that area because it's an interesting juxtaposition because we live in Royal Grande, but you look at Shell Beach can be fogged in. Mm-hmm. But Avila is a little peninsula and it faces south. Then as we sit here looking at Madonna Mountain and, and the coolness and the fog goes right to the Edna Valley, it's kind of in between there. So it's it's not as damp, wet. And we've got the Ontario Ridge or hill yeah. there. That really shelters Some us. protection. It does. I, I had a UC Extension advisor friend of a friend come in from and hang out and on the ranch and he brought that to my attention. That really wasn't on my, he goes, man, without that hill, son, you'd have a hard time here. Yeah. Like Derbyshire. Yeah. They struggle there because they got salt in the air bringing oh salt toxicity to your I've plants. I've been so. up there. I remember when they were trying to ripen, you know, every year is different from for those guys. And for anybody who's listening, Derbyshire is pretty much, is it lateral with Hearst Castle up there? I mean, it's I close. Think it's pretty darn close. But yeah. it, it is, it is for me, in terms of slow coast and slow coast wine, slow county, it's the most oceanic it's experience. It's the winter. It, yeah, it, it is cold up there, windy yeah. and salt in the air all the time. So yeah. I could not, my family couldn't sustain a project there for sure. But it's exciting that someone's trying, you know, anytime one of you guys goes out there and tries something, instead of the the tested and dependable thing, I mean, those are, those are great. I mean, no question. But I really love it when people say, well, what about here? There are so many places I wonder about. Napomo, um, obviously Santa Maria, there were some, you know, trials there, James being one of them. Can we do it on this hill? And um, yeah, Lompoc. I mean, there's just so many places that have been pioneered by people who did not know what the outcome would be. Exactly. I think that's a 
a fun part of doing it. And, and it is a testament to how young we still are. Yeah. As much as I say here today about the old stories and my age, but in, in the big picture, and again, that's the time I've had in Europe and travels is that <laughs> we're still young. Yeah. You know, I remember the story, Andre Chelichev came down here and met with uh, Stan Hoffman mm-hmm. and uh, told him, and you know, that's why they started HMR Ranch, Pinot Planet in 62. He traveled south and also met with Eros Nielsen and told him, do not plant grapes here. You know, this crazy. is too cold. You know, and uh, but luckily he did. So yeah, wow. And that's well, sixty, seventy. I mean, it, it, again, it's it's the time period when you go to France and you're 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 at a company, you know, and you're like, oh, what? How uh, many generations? Seven generations. Okay, <laughs> wow. There's yeah. still a lot more to be discovered. Yeah, for sure. I ask everybody on here what you would eat for your final meal, and I definitely want to hear what you would drink for your final meal. <laughs> I don't know, probably like Burgundian influence for sure. For sure, well, I figured. You know, as far as, uh, I love pate, you know, I love uh, Pinot Noir, you know, yeah. that that's really going to be the basis of it for sure. Mm. And uh, Any good, specific? Good. Domaine Romanet Conti, like, <laughs> what are we talking? Yeah, I probably would. Um, I would, you know, yeah, if you're going to go for the for the stars, I would definitely have, uh, reach back in the cellar, they don't make it anymore, but Henri Jaillet has a small mm. piece of, uh, of uh, Clément called Crow Parent 2, Mm. which is, again, everybody goes to Romani Conti, La Romane. Sure. I mean, that's kind of the easy button, but I remember years ago <laughs> discovering this little tiny piece of land that uh, Henri Jaillet used some uh, um, unused dynamite from World War II and, and dynamited these rocks out and planted this vineyard called Crow Parent II. And uh, I've only had it probably three times in my life. It's very, very hard to find and mm. extremely expensive. So anyway, stories. I love yeah, that. Yeah, definitely Crow Parent too. So, uh, you know, obviously Epois too. If you had Epois, Epois. No. From, uh, that's a very classic top of mind uh, cheese of Burgundy. Mm. But even deeper than that is one called Citeaux, which comes from the monks uh, just outside of uh, Dijon. And uh, the Cistercians uh, are still making that cheese, but it doesn't travel very well. You can, it's never. Been, I've never seen it in North America. So you're going to have to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> we will hook that up. <laughs> Mike Siner, thank you for coming over. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Consumed. It is a labor of love, and I appreciate anyone willing to give me their ears for an hour. Consumed is edited by Chris Lambert. If you have ideas for guests I should interview on Consumed, please visit the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com and be sure to sign up for the Consumed newsletter. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis. Thanks for getting consumed with me. Consumed.